Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include inflation around the world, my interview with Michelle Kraskowski on business development in the mortgage industry and the best way to support sales teams, and the latest payrolls figures for the U.S. economy. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Gallus. Gallus is a business intelligence tool specializing in the mortgage industry. Gallus delivers hassle-free, at-your-fingertips insights, enabling you to make better and faster decisions for improved profitability. Gallus is built on top of the AWS and Snowflake cloud platforms, ensuring scalability, top performance, and security in handling big data. Gallus is also easy to use. If you can use Google, you can use Gallus. Use Gallus to transform your data into actionable insights to drive your business forward in this challenging environment. For more information and to schedule a demo, visit gallusinsights.co. A third consecutive day of selling in the bond markets yesterday was the net balance between reaction to Wednesday's release of the June Federal Open Market Committee meeting minutes, strong job data, and anticipation of today's June on-farm payroll report. As was reported in the commentary yesterday, FOMC members at their meeting last month expressed a lot of concern toward continued resilience in the economy, and persistently elevated core inflation. The Fed believes that to bring aggregate supply and aggregate demand into better balance and reduce inflationary pressures sufficiently to return inflation to 2% over time, a period of below-trend growth in real GDP, and some softening in labor market conditions will be required. Sure, inflation for most countries around the world doesn't match Sudan at 340%, Lebanon at 201%, or Syria at 139%, nor are people hauling around wheelbarrows full of cash to buy a loaf of bread. The global fight against pandemic-era inflation has prompted projections ranging from recessions to soft landings, and the labor market here in the U.S. is certainly strong. We are seeing resilience rather than softening in the U.S. labor market, which helps those hoping for a soft landing, but makes the Fed's job more difficult and all but ensures more rate hikes. That resilience was evidenced yesterday as private hiring surged, with ADP employment coming in at 497,000, the most in over a year, versus the expected 225,000. Layoffs slowing to an eight-month low as companies had a difficult time finding workers during the COVID-19 pandemic and are probably reluctant to let them go. And filings for unemployment benefits staying relatively low. This hardly believable strength of the U.S. labor market should further push out any concept of a possible recession but should also push out of the market any hopes of a Fed rate cut during this year. Accordingly, the Fed Fund's futures market is now a coin toss when it comes to a November rate hike after a near-certain increase in July. Volatility dropped in June, if ever so slightly, and has been moving sideways of late, but could begin to trend downward once the Fed ends its current rate hiking cycle and investors come to terms with the fact that rates will likely stay elevated for much longer than is expected. Fed Funds futures markets no longer see a rate cut by year-end. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Michelle Kraskowski to talk about business development in the mortgage industry and the best way to support sales teams. She's an omni-channel mortgage industry executive with over 22 years' experience, including extensive success in operations management with a strong history of portfolio growth, who uses innovative solutions in demanding situations. Michelle enthusiastically embraces new and challenging market conditions, applying innovation, resourcefulness, and business knowledge to achieve best-in-class results. 
She's currently vice president of division performance at Cardinal Financial, but recently she held roles at Planet Home Lending, where she was SVP of national operations and project management, and worked for First Guarantee in non-delegated and wholesale operations, as well as Pacific Union Financial Wholesale National Operations. So I want to start by talking about your career, and I like asking people this question, and it's how how did you decide to enter the mortgage industry, or, or why did you enter the mortgage industry? And uh, what's, what's been your path to where you are today? I think it's a lot similar to most in the industry. I had someone refer me in and I didn't even know, really, I joke nowadays that I didn't even know that it, you needed homeowners insurance when, <laughs> on a house when I got into the mortgage industry. Um, I was very young. I was 19 years old. Um, and was, you know, really referred in by a friend who knew that I was a a very hard worker and, uh, was just really looking for something to sink my teeth into. So I got started through a friend and they sent me off for training to, uh, a beautiful city called Wichita (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, really, you know, just, understood what it meant, started, you know, stacking files and did some processor training. Uh, and then I, I joined a firm in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and was there for a while until, uh, until I, until I moved on and did other things within, within the industry itself. So I think a lot of us got into the industry through either a friend or a family member. And my story is no different than theirs. And so you're very focused on business development today, and it's an interesting part of the industry. And, and so when it comes to business development in the mortgage space, what does this actually mean? What's it entail? And how should other employees at mortgage companies view that position? Yeah, that's a great question. I I love business development, and I think about it in in a couple of different facets, uh, of course, number one is you know how I think all businesses think about it, and that's new client acquisition, regardless of the space, uh, making sure that you are you know retaining current clients and continuing to expand your portfolio with new clients. But I also think about it in a way of new salespeople too, new sales uh, partners joining an organization, what it takes to support their book of business how you partner with them to support that volume, that business, no matter what industry you're in, and making sure that you have the foundation laid on the back end, right? Whether it's in operations or, um, you know, credit and and able to support that new volume coming in. Um, Because as you grow and expand your markets, the needs change. And so, of course, therefore, the business changes um, and the business needs change in conjunction with that. The other thing I think about too is uh, really, you know, making sure that you're staying close to your salespeople uh, in a business development capacity, which is a little bit, of course, different than new client acquisition. But I still think about that as business development, right? So to me, you know, staying close to salespeople, keeping a good pulse on the needs and the ever growing changes, uh, of course, regulatory and otherwise within our industry is very, very important to understand um, how best to support your group and the needs within their specific territories. So that of course will continue to keep business coming in when you keep a good pulse on 
uh, the needs of your, you know, particular salespeople. Yeah. For the uninformed, like myself, how would you, how would you define the difference between a salesperson and a business development person? Obviously it's probably organization specific, uh, but how do you view the differences? Yeah, I think it's organization specific and also channel specific. So there's different um, different channels that that perform business development in different ways. Meaning, uh, in a correspondent space, you might have somebody that goes out and really has a long term, you know, deep rooted relationship with their lenders. And then, you know, when that volume comes in, then you have sort of a sales support person who uh, really educates that client on process. Uh, credit guidelines, needs, how best to deliver a package into that lender. And then you have, um, you know, less B2B, you know, business to business salespeople that, um, you know, that that really support a, a, a client, right? Whether it's a borrower, a realtor, um, and, and or other, you know, mortgage lenders, if you're in the broker space. And so, you know, they're dealing with way different levels uh, of issues, right, than a correspondent salesperson. And so I think about those two um, in a very different capacity because they, their needs are, are vastly different. Um, and in the correspondent space, of course, you're not dealing with people that are that have moving boxes, you know, sitting in waiting for keys uh, to get the purchase of their new home underway. And so that, of course, presents different challenges than it does in the correspondent space. So I think, you know, for for people that are newer to the industry, really understanding what their uh, issues they face daily are with their clients are very, very important. Um, And as I already indicated, of course, uh, you know, having a really good listening ear on what their needs are versus just going in trying to solve things, asking a lot of questions and being very curious is is my number one piece of advice. In your role, and I guess in particular in the correspondent space, what does it take for you to be successful at your job or, or what do you view as success? So interestingly enough, I have had roles in non-delegated wholesale and distributed retail. And so actually as of the, this moment today, I'm in distributed retail. And so I support uh, branches nationwide that have interactions with realtors, borrowers, and a really frontline, um, you know, needs of what we're facing today in our market. Um, So I think really success for me is trust and building rapport with your salespeople, I think is very, very, very important and key to a successful relationship um, and keeping your word. So for me, trust is all about keeping your word and doing what you say you're going to do and delivering what you're going to, uh, say you're going to deliver. And if you can't do it, you need to communicate. So communication breeds trust. And certainly I think, um, you know, over time that trust just naturally grows, but I certainly think that, um, you know, for them to be successful, it takes me doing the hard work behind the scenes And uh, no matter the channel and whatever capacity, but I need to be able to ensure that I'm delivering on what their realtors need, on what their clients need, their borrowers need, um, so that they can continue to get referral business in. Because I understand that that is the DNA of distributed retail. So distributed retail is a referral model through and through. You, You get past clients coming back to you. 
And my job is to make sure that those clients don't go anywhere else. And that's a great point because as many people as I have on this podcast that talk about AI and automation, I'm reminded it's a relationship-based industry. And that's not only for winning business with consumers, but it's also in having good working relationships and being successful within an organization. So I guess the, the flip side of that would be, how do you best feel supported by management? Is it a similar answer? So you're spot on with your initial response. And yes, AI is important for automation for many, many reasons. And I could have a whole separate conversation about that. But distributed retail is, um, and you know, wholesale brokers and um, even consumer direct MLOs, I mean, their relationship is gold, right? That is key to their continued success. And of course, there's leads and other things that can come in through other other areas to to continue to make them successful. But, you know, the referral business is certainly top of mind when I think about retail. Um, And, you know, I think when I feel like I'm best supported, I also think about what the sales team needs to be best supported. And I think both of those things go hand in hand and are similar. So I've mentioned, you know, coming in and listening to your salespeople, that's what I value as well when I feel supported in my role, uh, when I'm listened to. And I also take every opportunity to continue to be curious and ask questions. But I also, you know, feel fully supported when I'm taught new things that maybe I just didn't know that I needed to know or understand, right, about either the clients or a process or um, the business. And so I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. And I think an overarching theme between both of those things is you need to work for an organization, or I love to work for an organization that fosters an environment of trust, honesty, where you can gain, um, you know, the ears of either your salespeople or leadership to then turn around and teach you those things, right? And that all comes with um, that specific type of environment. So um, I just think really, you know, the next thing that we need to focus on as an industry is how do we continue really making sure that those themes go down to our staff for the next generation of leadership. And so we're continuing to grow and nurture and foster uh, the next generation of leaders. Yeah, I need to have you back on soon, whether it's to talk about AI or fostering that next generation. Uh, and and that would be a great interview. But I, I want to close today by talking about a hashtag that you frequently promote, and that's hashtag open to work. What does this mean to you? And, and how are you helping individuals? It was probably similar to um, how I got in the mortgage business. It was totally a leap of faith. I was impacted in late January by a reduction in force and sort of overall, um, you know, reorganization. And I really just went out on a limb and made a choice that I wasn't going to sit and apply for, apply for roles every day. I was going to take the 20 years I've gotten this industry and really lean on Um, my network to try to find a new role. And in addition to that, for those of you who have been in mortgage for 20 years, have probably already been impacted before, right? During the crisis, the housing crisis. And so um, for me, I just took it all in stride 
because I've been there and I've already been through a layoff or two before. And so I really wanted to utilize my past experience and my past role searching and networking and try to give that back out to the overall LinkedIn community. I think there's, you know, another generation behind me that may have not been through this experience and, or there's other people that are going through tech layoffs. Um, and I'm just seeing a ton of open to work people right now. So if you asked me that question probably five years ago, meant something different than it does today. There's a ton of people promoting that hashtag. And it's really just been a community on LinkedIn for people trying to help each other, whether you're employed or not. And so today, what it means is um, really just advertising that you've been impacted, that you're looking for work. Um, and I've met a lot of people where I've helped them either uh, rewrite their resume or give them some interview tips and just really think about the fact that, um, you know, it's not the end. It's, it's, there's another good door waiting to open for you. And uh, how can I help you, you know, navigate some of that, connect you with somebody, put you in front of somebody. Uh, and or refer you to another company. So I think it's our way to give back to those that have worked so hard and so tirelessly for companies. And I feel like, especially in a leadership role, because I've been in leadership for now about the last 10, 15 years, it's just another way for me to lead people and help them when I'm not actively employed and kind of give back in a positive way. Yes, especially in mortgage and especially right now, considering the environment that we're currently in. Michelle, this was great. Thank you so much for making the time for me today. Thank you for having me. I'm greatly appreciative of it. And I look forward to speaking again soon. Beyond the next few months, the inflation outlook, which is driving rate hike slash cut predictions, largely depends on how resilient the economy proves in the second half of the year. The drastic tightening of monetary policy over the past 16 months means that the economy's most likely path is a modest contraction of real GDP as businesses run down excess inventories. As activity slows in the sectors that are most sensitive to interest rates, like construction and manufacturing, the unemployment rate will likely tick higher over the next 12 months. This will further soften businesses' pricing power and slow inflation further. Today brings the June employment report, which could add further volatility to this week's bond route. Recent improvements in home affordability have been driven by wage growth, and headline payrolls in June increased 209,000 versus 230,000 expectations, and 339,000 in May, which was actually revised down to 306,000. The unemployment rate came in as expected at 3.6%, and hourly earnings were up 0.4% and up 4.4% for the year. We begin the day with agency MBS prices a few 30 seconds better, the 10-year yielding 4.01, after closing yesterday at 4.04%, and the two-year at 4.94%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Ever since I was a child, I've always had an irrational fear of someone being under my bed at night. So I went to a shrink and confessed, I've got problems. Every time I go to bed, I think there's somebody under it. I'm scared. I think I'm going crazy. Just put yourself in my hands for one year, said the shrink. Come talk to me three times a week, and we should be able to get you to get rid of those fears. How much do you charge, I inquired. Eighty dollars per visit, replied the doctor. I'll sleep on it, I said. 
Hey, wait, that's not the punchline. Six months later, the doctor and I met on the street. Why didn't you come to see me about those fears you were having, he asked. To which I replied, well, 80 bucks a visit, three times a week for a year would cost me 12480 versus a bartender cured me for 10 bucks. I was so happy to have saved all that money that I bought myself a new pickup truck. Is that so? The doctor said. And how, may I ask, did a bartender cure you? Well, he told me to cut the legs off of the bed. Ain't nobody under there now. <laughs> That's why it's always better to get a second opinion. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Gallus, the premier business intelligence tool for the mortgage industry. With hassle-free insights and user-friendly functionality, Gallus empowers you to make faster and data-driven decisions for enhanced profitability. Experience the ease of Gallus today. If you can use Google, you can use Gallus. Unlock the power of your data and propel your business forward by visiting gallusinsights.co. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.